Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Morning, church. I hope you're as excited as I am about what God might do with those eight new churches in Japan in the next few years. And for those of you that have been a part of Christ Church for a while, our generation's campaign was to invest one-third of, of our initiatives was based on uh, helping Jay do that. And we want to encourage you to go out in the foyer, have a conversation with him, and especially if you made a, a promise and you uh, asked God to, to work in you toward that goal, we really would be prayerful that we could complete that and help them begin, just be a large encouragement toward the work that they're doing. It's so exciting to see, and I love what God's going to do. If you're visiting Christ Church today, my name is Mark and I get to be one of the ministers here. If you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we'll be looking at that text in a little bit. My feelings got hurt this morning because Brian, who welcomed us in this morning, he mentioned that this is the last week of the Holy Spirit ser- uh, series, and then he sang a song called Gratefully. And uh, I kind of took that personal. I thought it was a good series, but obviously the worship team's ready to move on. Not, not really. Uh, I just thought it was kind of comical. And uh, we've been looking at this series about how this gift, remember Jesus told us, I need to leave so the Holy Spirit can come. And Jesus said we were better off that he left and the Spirit came than the Spirit never came at all. And we've been talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit is not an option for our life. It is our life. It is the strength of our life and the uh, soul of our life and the course of our life as we trust Jesus by faith. We've been looking at the verbs in this series for six weeks. We looked at how the Holy Spirit reveals God to us and brings his glory to our understanding. We learned that he opens our minds and hearts to our need for salvation, convicts us of our sin, and then shows us the beauty of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the power of the resurrection. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live holy lives, not only cleansing us, but setting us apart. The Holy Spirit equips us to do work inside the kingdom and out. The Holy Spirit guides us into God's love and Christ-likeness. And as Michael said a couple weeks ago, he guides us on to mission. And then last week we learned that he strengthens us to be joyful, useful, influential, and prayerful. And that he shows his power in our lives through our weakness more than he does through our strength or our personality or our natural talent. So when we look at what the Holy Spirit's doing, I want to now read a passage where Paul's encouraging a church how to walk worthy of their faith. It's found in Ephesians 5 verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In one of my favorite books in the New Testament, Paul challenges what it looks like to to walk in the Spirit and to live as wise and not rather unwise. Paul uses two terminology in his teaching. He uses the leading of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk to you about those, although I'll address one of them more briefly than the other. In the leading of the Holy Spirit, the previous six weeks in our series have guided us toward how the Holy Spirit leads us and the things the Holy Spirit does to us and in us and around us to guide us on the path he wants us to go. So let's talk about that initially. What is the leading of the Spirit? In a few, or rather, in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, Paul says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For all who are being led. 
I want to tell you there's a lasting difference between wanting the Holy Spirit to lead you and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you. There's a vast difference between saying, I would like God's influence in my heart and in my life and my mind and my strength so I can serve him and actually putting yourself in a posture to having received that. So in the concept of the leading of the Spirit, Paul would say in Galatians 5, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. There is a demonstration of the Spirit's leading in our responsiveness. And we are, he is able and willing to lead us. We get to choose whether or not we're able and willing to be led. And the Holy Spirit leads us in many, many ways. One of the ways he does lead us is that there would be this, uh, this given knowledge of what the Lord wants us to do, an enlightenment, if you will, of our minds, so we can know what the Lord requires of us and we can pursue that. It might be a specific moment where the Holy Spirit says to you or impresses upon you that you need to speak to a person or that you need to go this direction rather than this direction, or that you need to make this sacrifice toward this cause that you had never thought of before. That I believe the Holy Spirit does lead that way. I don't think we should be scared of the Holy Spirit leading us that way. But that's not the only way the Holy Spirit leads. It's the most desirable, it seems, when people are wanting an experience, but it's not the only way he leads. Sometimes, if we're looking for the big, we may miss the most beautiful in the small. Or if I can say it this way, don't be desirous of the miraculous that causes you to miss the mundane. Because it's in the everyday interaction as we walk with God that there will be mountaintops and there will be valleys. And all of them are beautiful if we're being led by the Holy Spirit to encounter God and experience God in each of those. And so because of that, the scriptures, if you want to know what God's calling you to do, the Holy Spirit speaks in the scriptures as well as he speaks directly to you in different ways. It might be through the voice of another person. It might be an impression upon your heart. It might be in community. It might be through a sermon or a lesson or a reading. In all of these ways, the Spirit speaks. But I also want you to know that not only can the Spirit give you an enlightenment of your mind and an awareness of something to do, but I also believe one of the most powerful things the Holy Spirit brings to us is an inward empowerment of the will. Let me slow it down and make it as simple as I can. The Holy Spirit cannot just bring you the what, but the Holy Spirit can bring you the want to. Not just the what, but the want to. Because as a pastor, I think it's safe to assume that 80 to 90% of this audience this morning is not unaware of what God expects from you. Love your enemy. Serve those who persecute you. Sacrifice for others. Overkeeping for yourself. Don't store up riches on earth, but give to those that are disenfranchised and lost and don't know what's going on. You see, we're not unaware of the what. What we really need the Holy Spirit in our lives is to develop the want to, the desire to do it, to live it out, to experience it, and to trust it. And one of the things I've enjoyed in my study through the Holy Spirit is that that's exactly what he's come to do. He can give us great power, but ultimately, whether it's in the miraculous or the mundane, it comes down to what Paul challenges us in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit brings us. He gives us the strength to put to death the deeds of the body. It's not by willpower. It's not by your natural intuition or strength. It actually is the gift of the Holy Spirit inside of us that allows us to not only know what to do, but to want to do it. Now we move on to the filling of the Spirit. So we know the Spirit is willing to lead us, but there comes this moment where Paul challenges in today's text how to be filled in the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. 
What's interesting here, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a grammar lesson. I don't choose to do this normally unless it's really relevant because we have the ability to read the English translation. It's a translation. And sometimes our words don't adequately define because of the way we use our words. They don't adequately define what Paul was writing when he wrote it in the original language. Now, what Paul says here is to be filled with the Spirit. He uses an imperative. Now, just simply, that's a bossy verb. He's telling us, he's commanding us to do something. It's an order, it's a command, it's bossy. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And we don't sit back and wait for this to happen. The Holy Spirit will not fill us against our will. He will fill us if we open our will to him. And not only is it an imperative, a bossy word, but it's a continuous imperative or a present imperative, which means that we are to continually open ourselves up and cooperate with the Spirit to be filled. I would simply say it this way. The Holy Spirit is offering you a chance to take full advantage of his presence, to just open yourself up and watch what he does in you as you submit and prepare your heart to be used by him. Well, this, when I write, I always write the questions I would want answered. And so here's the next question for me. How am I to be filled with the Spirit? I want this. I do. I've wanted it my whole life. I haven't often known I wanted it, and then I knew I wanted it, and I can't stop wanting it. So how do I open myself up to be filled? Well, you put yourself in the position where you can be filled. And we talked about this last week. Part of putting yourself in a position before God to be filled is to empty yourself. Our series that we did, we did almost three years in the Gospels talking about who Jesus was and what that means to us and what it means to his kingdom and why he came for us. And then we followed it with a series called Pathways. And I want you to see there's a rhyme or reason what we're doing here. Because in the pathways, this is how you open yourself up. This is how you empty yourself by opening yourself up to scripture reading and opening yourself up to prayer and spending periods of silence and solitude, being in community, using your gifting. All of these things are exercises by which we empty ourselves of self and we fill ourselves with God. And the Holy Spirit wants to fill you, but he cannot fill you if you're full. So you must empty yourself and he helps you do that. Colossians 2.9 for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Here's the good news. When you were born again, when you were regenerated by the presence of the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing you from your sin, and the Holy Spirit was given to you to abide within you, you received the fullness of God. Everything you need to do everything he asks is available to you. There's no part missing. You don't need another part. You just need to receive the fullness of God in you. And Paul wrote to the Colossians and he said, you have the fullness of God available to you. But there's also a filling. So we're full and yet we need filled. Yes, each and every day as you walk by faith, you will be pouring out the filling of the Holy Spirit and you, will, you are being encouraged to be continuously filled over and over. So nod your head if you understand that there is a presence of God and then there's the interactive presence of God each and every day. One's the fullness and one's the filling. And if you get that figured out, then we realize that the way the Holy Spirit fills is unique. It does, he doesn't always do it the same way. There are moments of temporary filling. Like in Acts chapter 13, verse 9, there's a passage that says... Paul was filled with the Spirit, and he spoke with words of boldness. And that really happened. It truly came, and then it truly went. That there was a moment where the Holy Spirit, for God's purposes, filled Paul in such a way that he spoke with the boldness. It's like on the day of Pentecost, when Peter began to preach, and all the people looked around and said, where did this come from? They speak 
they speak differently. These are uneducated men speaking these big truths. So there is a moment that the Holy Spirit can come upon you and fill you in such a way for a moment in time to meet God's desires for that moment. And then there's the continuous or constant filling, which Paul talks about in Ephesians 5. This regular moment where the Spirit comes into your mundane and speaks to you about who you are, about what he's doing, about the promises of hope that are found in Jesus, and it fills you regularly and repeatedly. But remember, don't pursue these fillings in and of themselves. Jesus said, blessed, he did not say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after being blessed. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. In other words, he said, seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Don't seek the filling of the Holy Spirit so you feel good about you. Uh, seek the Holy Spirit's filling so that you can share with others how good Jesus is. If we make it about him, the Spirit said, that's my purpose. The Spirit came so that he could reveal the glory of Jesus Christ to the world, and by re revealing the glory of Jesus, he could show the glory of the Father. If we desire the things of the Spirit so we can feel better about us, or we can accomplish things that would make us look good, then the Spirit will not fill for those purposes. In fact, it would be counter to why the Spirit comes. So I'm going to give you two words that it takes. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, I'm going to give you two words if you're taking notes to write these down. The first one is mortification. Okay, now that's not a word we use very often, but I'm using it specifically because it's a big fancy word. Mortification means to put to death something at its roots, to, to go down to its source and kill it. So to mortify is to put to death the things of the flesh. And if you want to be filled with the Spirit, one of the things God asks us to do Paul uses this terminology, put on the things of the spirit and put off the things of the flesh. Walk in the things of the spirit, don't walk in the things of the flesh. Put off the old man and put on the new man. There is an activity by which we open ourselves or empty ourselves to be filled with the spirit. And mortification is one of those. In Romans 8, Paul said it this way, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Notice the participation there. This mortifying effect is to put to death the things of the flesh. John Owen, in his classic treatise on this called The Mortification of Sin, says we have to deal with our sin at the motivational level. Why are we doing what we're doing? Because I believe 100% of this room, each one of us has something about our lives we wish weren't there. A habit, an addiction, an attitude, what the Puritans used to call a besetting sin, that one thing that we have worked on, and honest to God, we have worked on it. We've tried to stop it. We've tried to prevent it. Next thing you know, we fall back into our defaults. I mean, for 54 years, I've dug the ruts I'm in. I can't blame you all. I dug them, and I can't get myself out of them. But, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can put to death the desires that caused me to dig those ditches. I, they can be put to death. It's a combination of my being willing to cease the activities that feed those impulses and open myself up to the Spirit, to the power to overcome them and put to death the things of the flesh and walk in this newness of life. The second word I'd like you to write down is mindfulness. Mortification and mindfulness. What does the concept of mindfulness mean? Well, it actually means to focus your mind on the promises of your relationship with God and what that means. 
Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, set your heart on things above. And having established what that overriding principle is, he says in verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. How do you mortify sin? You focus your mind on Christ. You focus your mind on the things of God. You don't believe the lies. You don't believe the untruth. You don't allow other people to tell you that God's ways have become old-fashioned. That what God always knew was right no longer is right because what? We're more educated? We're more experienced? I think the only experience you and I have more of than other generations is being sinners. How about that? We're really good at that. We've perfected this, right? Our whole culture now celebrates it. And as if God had become old-timey and lost his place. So the mortification is my desire to kill at the motivational level the things of the flesh, but also to focus my mind on the power and promise of God in my life to do such. And not only to end my life of the flesh, but actually to begin to walk in a life of the Spirit. So, Paul gives us two things we're not to do. Two basic principles. He tells us there's two things that keep us from being filled with the Spirit. The first is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. To grieve God. If we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit, it means we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And you might wonder what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, I want you to understand that our relationship with the Spirit of God is a real relationship, an experience with God. It is not a pseudo-relationship, it's an actual relationship. And every one of us have known a moment in our life that we have grieved somebody who loved us, right? You've seen it on the face of your mom and dad when they asked you not to do something and you did it. Now, you might have thought the initial burst was anger, but chances are it came from grief. The ultimate reason, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, is I want you to notice something as you read through that chapter. He says, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. And then in the middle of it, he says, and don't grieve the Spirit of God. Meaning our behavior causes God to be hurt. Why? Well, the the truth of of all of this is God loves us with such a tragic, vulnerable love that he he cannot sit by and do nothing while we wreck ourselves. He loves us that much. Now, I'll confess, I'm not a good person, and God saved me anyway. When our son was born, our oldest son was born, I felt about this way with both of them, I was actually unprepared and overwhelmed when Alex showed up, because holding that little slug, that little pink raisin in my arms, I realized he could wreck my life. I I mean, I wasn't angry at him, but I realized he could make a poor choice with a vehicle, he could make a poor choice with his life, he could do something that cost him his life and devastate me. He could make a choice that wrecks he and, and his mother, or me and his mother. He could ruin everything. And I know some of you are looking, especially if you don't have kids yet, you're like, you're crazy. Wait your day, you'll have it. And if it doesn't happen immediately when they drive away for the first time and you're not in the car, may God have mercy on your soul. Because you never feel, church or parents, help me, you never feel more vulnerable when you love someone that much, amen? amen. And God loves us so much that he cannot sit by and watch us wreck ourselves and act like it's not a big deal. It's not anger, it's grief. And the Holy Spirit is calling us. The Holy Spirit is asking us to trust him and to be in this relationship with God. So what does it mean? How do we not grieve, double negatives, how do we not grieve the Holy Spirit? Two words, please him. Please him. If you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, live to please him. Do the things that matter. I'm 54 years old. My mom's in her 80s. I still do things to please my mom that I don't by law have to do anymore. 
I don't have to, but I do them not because I have to or I'll get grounded if I don't. It's because I love her. And there are certain things that my sons have to do that no longer do they have to do them because simply it's the best way to do it. We simply say, how about you just do that because it would make your mom's heart happy. Please them. This is what it means to not grieve the Holy Spirit. And you want to know how to confess? I, I've learned this recently in my study for this series. If you want to know how to have a, a really healthy confession time, ask yourself three questions. How am I treating my father? How am I treating him lightly? How can I repay him today for what he's done for me? You can use those three questions for any relationship you have. How, how am I treating my wife? How am I, how am I treating my son? Am, am I treating them lightly? And what can I do today to repay them for all they've done for me. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit and please the Father. If, if sin to you is breaking a rule, you've misunderstood what's at risk here. A sin is not just breaking a rule. A sin is breaking the Father's heart. It's grieving our compassionate Father, who's a good Father. If Jesus taught us anything, he taught us that God is not on his throne, handing down condemnation. He's a good Father who wants to bless us and love us and live with us. So we please him. The second thing Paul warns us to do is found in 1 Thessalonians 5. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. To put out, to quench, to extinguish like a flame is what Paul uses there in his words. He says, do not extinguish the spirit Trust the prophecies. Listen to how he connects it. He said, trust the prophecies. Don't show contempt for them, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and get rid of what is evil. He said that to quench the spirit, how do you not quench the spirit? I'm going to give you three words this time. Listen to him. Listen to him. Paul equates quenching the spirit with not listening to the truth of God as it's being shared with you. To not hold on to what is good, but instead to hold on to what is evil. It's being mindful you see, to please him is to mortify sin. To be mindful is to be attentive, to listen, to pay attention to what he's saying. And you can do that during the reading of the word. Go back to your pathways. Are you walking the journey of a disciple who wants to learn from the word, spend time communicating with God from your heart and your soul, your mind and your strength, be involved in community and growing? The attentiveness to God is not just to know. Remember, our problem is not that we don't know what God wants. It's the want to. And so listening to the Spirit, how do you please him? You listen to him. You do what he asks. You stop doing what he tells you not to do. When the word of God tells you to put on something, you put it on. And when he tells you to take it off, you take it off. You put it away. You live for a greater and higher purpose. You and I quench the Spirit whenever we have an impulse or a desire to change for the kingdom and we do nothing with it. This happens often. It's one of the dangers of coming to church, I'll be honest with you. You'll come to church and someone like me will be on stage and it certainly isn't the person talking. It's what God has taught them in their study and we share something with you and deep inside you're like, I need to do that. I need to become that. I need to think more about that. And every time you and I have that moment that the Holy Spirit lays upon us, remember, we would not even have known we needed salvation if the Spirit hadn't brought conviction. And when the Spirit brings conviction about what you and I are to do, think, or become, to not do that is to quench the voice and the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's easy to do, but it's a mistake to do it. To know what it is and do nothing with it. We also quench the Spirit whenever we hear the Lord speak to us of our new nature 
and we either deny it or ignore it. You see, here's good news today, church. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, he never speaks condemnation. The Holy Spirit never says you're trash, you're worthless, you can't be fixed, you're too stubborn, you're broken, I'm done with you. Those words do not come from the Holy Spirit of God. God brings conviction. He never brings condemnation. God's words are you can. You're better than that. God says you're valued and you're known and you're loved and you're important and you're valuable and the world says you're none of those things. Who are you listening to? Part of our mindfulness is focusing on what God has told us who we are and then living into that by the power of the Spirit. It's listening to his words, holding on to his hope, knowing who we are in Christ. Respond to him with greater attentiveness. Respond to him so as to please him. And if you do so, you are emptying yourselves of the things of the world and opening yourself up to the filling of God. Each and every day he responds to this in the miraculous and in the mundane. So what's your next step? Seven weeks of the promise of Jesus laid before us. Seven weeks of focusing on what the Spirit came to do for all of us. Not because we're worthy, because we've opened ourselves up to it. What's your next step? For some, it's entering into a saving relationship with Jesus. You have never stepped out and said, I believe, I know enough to believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God. I believe that his cross is the blood I need to cleanse me of my sin and there's no other way to be saved. It's to believe that by the power of the resurrection that raised Jesus from the dead, we too will be raised in Christ by faith. You've never made that profession. And the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you today. I am telling you, listen to him and please him. It'll be the best thing he ever did. For some, your next step may be to repent of rebellion. The Lord has offered you time and time again to change your life, to live more fully by the spirit and less by the flesh. And we debate, and we argue, and we use logic, and we use all these reasons not to do it. It's today the day that you simply say to the Father, I was wrong, you are right, forgive me. Because he'll receive that. Maybe it's prayer for healing or direction or for reconciliation. Maybe you're trying to fix it all yourself and you don't have to because the Spirit is the one who reconciles all things together in Jesus. Maybe you just need to pray with somebody today to be encouraged. Maybe you need a community of faith. You're trying to do it all on your own. You understand you can't. And as we walk this journey of our pathway of discipleship, we walk it together. We strengthen one another. We encourage and hold each other up. Maybe you just need to surrender yourself and empty yourself of those little idols you hold on to that give you your security. And you need to give your life away to the kingdom. You need to begin to invest in things that are gonna outlast all of us. And you need to begin to serve and care for the people around you. All of these things are good things. They're not punishments. And all of them are empowered today by the spirit who is speaking to your heart. When I asked you, what is your next thing? Your next step? What did God say? And would you listen to him? And would you please him? Around this room are tables with some lamps lit. People are gonna to go to those tables currently. And they're there to meet with you and talk with you if you'd like to do so during the next few moments or after the service. People will be at these tables. I'll be out at the prayer center with a few other people if you'd like to have a conversation. What is your next step? Step into it and walk by the spirit and find life. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. 
We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.